Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about navigating the NICU. Although no one plans having their baby go to a neonatal intensive care unit, about 10% of newborns will spend some time there. Prematurity is the most common reason, but even some less severe, full-term concerns may warrant a short stay. What should you know? Dr. Sue Hall is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding and their free quick start video, which shows you a simple technique to prevent nipple pain and the easiest way to help your newborn latch and for you to produce enough milk for your baby. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show and all the love you give the show. Can you guys believe it? It's been two years, two years since I launched this podcast. I am so incredibly grateful to all the guests that have let me pick their brains to help you inform your intuition, to all the mamas that have wanted to share their birth stories on the air, to my most fabulous Patreon supporters that month after month cheer me on, to naturalbreastfeeding.com for being such an amazing sponsor, and of course to you, almighty listener. I really appreciate you talking, listening to me talk week after week and telling others about the podcast. Thank you all so very much. Now, to get into the holiday spirit and to celebrate these two years together, I'm setting up an amazing offer where you can get my Birth Partners Ultimate Labor Support Toolkit at half price. This toolkit, it includes all my favorite tools and tips and tricks gathered during nearly a decade of doula work, and it will help your partner go from clueless to I got this so that they can provide you with the actual helpful support that you'll need during your birth. This deal is only going to be available during this anniversary week, so until December 6th, which also happens to be my sister's 40th birthday. (laughs) Yay! So we're celebrating everything this week. To get 50% off the toolkit, use the offer code HAPPYSISTER at checkout. Happy Sister. This deal, you guys, is not going to be happening again until maybe next anniversary, so do take advantage of it. Also, I've just revamped and giving a facelift to my postpartum plan, which is an amazing way to get your ducks in a row for life with a newborn. And it is available for free at birthful.com. So go grab it, even if you have the older version. This one is, it has more information and it looks great. Um, So yes, to get the toolkit for 50% off, use Happy Sister. And if you want the postpartum plan, which is totally free, totally free, just go to birthful.com. All right. Today's show is about navigating the NICU, which was a topic request from Hannah S. Thank you, Hannah. And to help us inform our intuition on that one, I have Dr. Sue Hall here today. Who is Dr. Hall, may you ask? Well, let me tell you. Dr. Sue Hall has been a neonatologist for 25 years, and before that, she worked as a master's level social worker. She completed training in pediatrics and neonatology at the Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas, Missouri, then joined the faculty at UCLA's David Geffen School of Medicine, where she was affiliated for 19 years. 
Now in private practice at a community hospital NICU in Southern California, Dr. Hall was the co-chair of the National Perinatals Association's work group on interdisciplinary recommendations for psychosocial support of NICU parents. So basically, she is very much attuned and knowledgeable about what ways to support and help new parents in the NICU. She is also the author of a book about life in the NICU titled For the Love of Babies. Dr. Hall, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Very exciting. And so this is something that I really don't have much knowledge about because my doula work and and, and as an educator and all those things kind of really stop um, on the outside of the NICU. So I was super excited that you you would come on to the show to share your knowledge. Can we first start with like the super basic definition of what NICU stands for and what is the difference between, say, a NICU and a special care nursery? Well, NICU stands for neonatal intensive care. And um, the difference between a special care nursery, that's, that's a little bit hard because some hospitals don't have special care nurseries that I would call like a medium level nursery. Basically, in most community hospitals, a neonatal intensive care unit is where babies have to come if they can't be cared for on the mother-baby floor or unit. So if babies have any kind of problems that require observation, like they're breathing too fast or their blood sugar is low, or they have any kind of a problem, um, even if they're not quote-unquote critically ill, they still have to come to the NICU because the mother-baby units are basically where baby is rooming in and mother feels confident and comfortable and the nurses feel confident and comfortable that the baby is like 100% normal. Mm-hmm. So it, it really depends on what facilities your the hospital you're at might have. Yes, a special care nursery, probably what you're talking about is a level two nursery. There's all levels. So level one nursery is just normal baby care. Level two is where babies need a little bit of care, like maybe IV fluids for a low blood sugar or phototherapy for jaundice or antibiotics for a possible infection, but but they're not critical and unstable. And then um, intensive care would be usually a higher level, the next level would be level three, and that's um, babies who maybe need the help of a ventilator or CPAP or some special kind of breathing um, help, Um, babies who might have blood pressure problems or need more medications, or babies who have uh, several problems instead of just one simple problem. And then level four NICU is what we call the tertiary care centers that are usually children's hospitals or in children's hospitals um, and or academic centers. So those are the NICUs where if your baby is really, really, really sick or has a surgical problem or multiple congenital anomalies, you would be sent to that level of a NICU. Mm, and I think the distinction between those is is really great to point out because even though your baby might not have 
you know, some very serious problems just need some quick ups or not quick, but some lower level observation, you're still going into an environment that is is little different from just the the you know nursery where a baby might just go for the night or if you're if you're not rooming in yeah i think i think the hardest part about the concept of a NICU is that parents are most often separated from their baby you know the baby goes to the NICU and the parent stays in their room now there are some NICUs um, across the country that are building single family room NICUs where parents can room in with the baby, but by and large, that is not the uh, standard as of today. So it's really hard when you have a brand new baby and you're really excited and you're looking forward to it and all of a sudden they take your baby away. Now you can go see the baby and be with the baby and so forth, but it's it's just that um, upending of your expectations of what your birth was going to be like and what your experience with your baby was going to be like that makes the NICU such a hard place to be in. Mm, and absolutely, I, it, it's such an emotional time. Can we talk a little bit about that, of what those emotions might be and how parents might seek support um, when they're confronted with the situation? Well, the emotions are always disappointment and fear. Fear is big. You know, even if your baby only goes to a level two NICU, um, or you have a baby that's, say, born five weeks early, not extremely premature, but just a little bit early. Parents are afraid because they don't know what's going to happen, and so they even fear their baby could die. So the first thing um, to do is to be reassured that survival in NICUs is 98%. So chances are your baby will be fine. It's just going to be getting through the current problems. When, when we get into parents who have babies who are born extremely prematurely, like 23, 24, 25, 26, 28, 30 weeks, um, almost always there is a feeling of guilt, like I did something wrong that made my baby come early, which is not usually the case. These things just happen. Um, so there's fear and guilt and shame, like, you know, my body couldn't even produce a healthy baby. What's wrong with me? Um, so it is very important that parents seek support and seek normalization of their feelings because these feelings pretty much happen to everyone whose baby goes to the NICU. And so they're normal from that point of view. So if you have family and friends, they can possibly be helpful to you, but sometimes um, they can actually make matters worse because they might say, well, you know, don't worry. But you're, if you're the mother or you're the father, it's your baby, so you're going to worry. Or they might say, everything's going to be all right. And people really can't tell you that with 100% confidence. Um, so if, if somebody has a baby that goes into the NICU and they're finding that their family and friends are maybe working at cross purposes or increasing their own anxiety, uh, what I would recommend is asking in the NICU, first of all, uh, just discuss things with the nurse who's taking care of your baby. Secondly, maybe ask if there's a social worker you can talk to because every NICU will have a social worker. And then third, um, see if your NICU has 
a peer support program where a parent who has already been through the NICU experience is available to be your kind of buddy and mentor. Um, if the hospital doesn't have such a program, there are a lot of online uh, Facebook pages and web pages uh, for parents whose babies are in the NICU, whether they're there for prematurity or any other kind of problem. So just finding somebody who's been through the experience can make a huge difference in how you um, get through the experience yourself. Yeah, and I think those are incredibly good points to make because it is usually the visit to the NICU tends to be more often than not a surprise. And like you said, it's a switch of expectations of you thought it was just birth happening and then suddenly there's something that requires separation from your baby. Um, so it's really great to know about those those supports and know that you're not in this alone that you know reach out for people to help you and acknowledge those feelings that you're feeling because they are completely normal right yes and and you are not alone it uh, happens that about 10 percent of all babies in the u.s will go to the NICU it sounds like a really high number but um you know it is pretty high so and that 10% does include a variety of reasons. What are the most common reasons do you find that babies will go to the NICU? Uh, probably the most common reason is prematurity. About two-thirds of all the babies admitted to the NICU are premature. And of those, about two-thirds are maybe what we call late preterm babies. So those are babies born at 35 34, 35, and 36 weeks. So a little bit early, not too terribly early, but um, it seems um, sort of more and more common that babies are being born at that gestational age, um, primarily related to obstetrical knowledge about um, risks for a certain types of pregnancies if they're continued beyond 34 or 35 weeks. Um, as far as term babies, babies born, you know, 38, 39, 40 weeks or 41 weeks, they might be admitted, um, especially if mother has um, an infection or a temperature during labor and uh, concern for infection in the baby. They might be admitted for, like I said, low blood sugar, uh, jaundice, um, those uh, sometimes transitional problems after delivery. So if, there are, if the baby has a hard time during labor, like there's a cord around the neck or a uh, baby's heart rate is dropping during labor, something like that, the baby may need some time adjusting after birth and so may need to be observed in the NICU um, for a period of time. And in those circumstances, which tend to be, in for say, term babies, the most common, what can parents do? How can they be part of the team and involved in their baby's care? What is the things they they can expect to be able to do and what things uh, do they need to adjust their expectations for? Well, hopefully most NICUs would welcome parents' involvement. Um, there's more and more awareness, you know, across the country all of the time about uh, the importance of 
parents being involved in the care of their baby and bonding and uh, being encouraged not to be afraid of their baby. So it really is going to depend on the condition of the baby and how sick they are. So if the baby is, quote, critically ill, the parents might only be able to see the baby and touch the baby but not hold the baby. Um, if, if the baby is not really sick but just premature or getting some treatment for a minor problem, then I would encourage the parents, number one, to um, try to breastfeed and if they can't uh, nurse at the breast because of the baby's condition in the first few days, pump breast milk. That is definitely one positive thing that you can do for your baby, provide breast milk. Um, as soon as you get the all clear from the medical team, do skin-to-skin -skin care. Uh, really for as long as possible um, during the day or night. Um, and sometimes these are things that you might have to ask for. Is my baby stable enough for me to do skin-to-skin -skin care? Um, other things the nurses will usually tell you um, when you can take the baby's temperature and change the baby's diaper. But again, if parents are aware that they can do these things, uh, they just need to ask, is my baby stable enough for me to help do all of the cares, give a bath, all of that kind of stuff. Mm, and that's a great way to, I like that sentence of, is my baby stable enough for this and this and that? Um, as a doula, I have a phrase that I use a lot of, is there any reason why we can't or we can do this or this? You know, is there any reason why I can't get out of bed? Or a, So I think that translates nicely with the phrase that you're talking about to to see what you can do for your baby in, in the NICU. Um is there, are there other tips? So say if their involvement is not so welcome just because that hospital they're in doesn't have that culture um, as, as, as what they do, what can parents do to get better communication with the staff in the NICU and be able to become more involved in their baby's care? Well, uh, one thing that I didn't mention earlier is if they can be present during rounds, when the um, medical team goes around and sees every baby in the morning, talks about what happened the day before and what the plan is for that day, again, the movement is towards allowing or even encouraging parents to be involved in rounds. So being present at the hospital with your baby, uh, usually during the morning hours, say between 8 and 11, and you would have to check with your own NICU what time the doctors make rounds. But if you're present at the bedside, it's a great opportunity to express your concerns, ask your questions, advocate for what you want to do with your baby um, and the medical team. Because, you know, a lot of times if, if a family only comes in, say, the late afternoon or evening, the doctors might not be there, and, and they might ask the nurse, can I do this, can I do that? And the nurse might say, well, the doctor hasn't said yes or no yet, and the doctor's not here right now. So being present on rounds is um, something that would really help. Also, if you want to do something with your baby and you're finding a particular nurse isn't allowing it, but maybe another nurse did, you can always ask to speak to the charge nurse. There's always a nurse who's like overseeing the shift of all of the nurses who are working, and their role is to be a problem solver and mediator and 
uh, hopefully to make sure that you're happy and satisfied with your baby's care. So don't be afraid to speak up or advocate for uh, what you would like to see happen. Mm, and that's a, a huge because it, I can I can see as as a parent and and as somebody who's involved in in you know birth work that you what you want above all else is a healthy baby. So it can become very uh, uh, once if your baby goes into the NICU, you, you can feel like on eggshells of not knowing where you can step, where you can't step. But then research also tells us, especially if it's a baby that is just, you know, early term, um, that things that tend to be best for their health and depending on the situation, of course, but it is like you said, kangaroo care as much as possible and breast milk if possible. So encouraging I, I really like how you're encouraging parents to ask and and be involved and get their questions answered and see what they can do for their babies because they that bonding is super crucial and important for the baby's health right another thing parents can do is read to their baby now that sounds kind of silly talk to their baby, sing to their baby, read to their baby. So especially for babies who are born very, very early, reading and providing uh, some kind of stimulation like that really helps in their language development. So babies who are cared for in private room NICUs in which the parents don't ever come um, have been found to have uh, slower language development than babies who have a lot of rich interactions with their parents. So it's not just holding, it's talking to your baby and, you know, really interacting because that's how their brain develops through sensory input that we give them. Mm, yes. And, and I, dots are coming together in my mind because I've had Penny Simpkin here Simkin be here before to talk about the importance of like singing to your baby in utero and have a song for them that you sing throughout um, pregnancy and then that can be your special song afterwards that can be a way of soothing baby and connecting with baby that is offhand say when you're driving and they're in the back seat you can soothe with that song but I can see how it could come really it could be really helpful in a situation where you can't engage physically with your baby in the NICU but you still have it allows you to bond that's fantastic yeah now there are some babies in whom um, stimulation might not be at appropriate at the early stages of their um, NICU stay and um some things that are disturbing to babies are really loud noises and um, people rubbing them or kind of, you know, bouncing them uh, excessively. So just like a firm touch and a soft, quiet voice is usually okay, no matter what the situation. But again, if the baby is really unstable, the nurse will just ask you to um, kind of delay that type of interaction. So if, if the nurse does say something, um, like don't do that, ask them what you can do and, uh, you know, don't take it personally because the nurse is watching out for how your baby is responding and what your baby needs at that time. Mm. 
Sue, we're going to take a <laughs> quick break here. But when I come, when we come back, I want to ask you more about other logistics of how long should parents stay in the hospital. What about those those parents that want to be there twenty four seven, and you know, sort of that logistics of of how to navigate that. So we will be right back. Hey, Mighty Mama. Have you checked out Natural Breastfeeding's Quick Start video yet? No? Then what are you waiting for? Here are three reasons why you need to watch it. First, it was created by world-renowned breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher, two ladies that I truly admire, whom you may also remember from past podcast episodes. Second, I know that natural breastfeeding works since this is exactly what I teach my doula clients to get breastfeeding off to a fabulous start. And third, it's free. The quick start video is 38 minutes of solid information that will show you the simplest way to help a newborn latch, as well as the best way to produce enough milk for your baby and they are not going to ask you to buy any additional stuff at the end so if you're planning on breastfeeding or got started recently then you need to watch it simply go to naturalbreastfeeding.com to learn more And we're back, and I'm talking to Sue Hall, Dr. Sue Hall, about navigating the NICU. And so what before we left, we were talking about ways that parents can be more involved in their baby's care and, and checking with the nurses in terms of what they can do, what they can cannot do. Um, what about parents that want to be with their babies as much as possible? What are some tips and tricks that you think are most helpful both for their health, especially the mom's health, recovering from her birth, and interacting with baby? Well, um, as I mentioned, NICUs are different from one another, and some NICUs will make it very easy for parents to stay full-time with their baby. Um, as I said, there are some NICUs with family single family rooms where they actually have a bed for the parents and they encourage you to stay 24 seven. So if you uh, happen into one of those NICUs, please do take advantage of the opportunity to stay with your baby because it's just so sad to me to go to those NICUs and they hear the staff say, well, we have these rooms, but the parents don't really come and stay. So, um, this is this is a model of having parents involved 24-7 that has developed in Europe and Canada and is now moving to the U.S. Um, but again, there are some hospitals that, that don't have that capability right now. So if you're in a NICU that has like one big room or uh, smaller rooms, but still a number of beds for the babies, like eight beds or more in a room, uh, there may just be one or two chairs at the bedside. Um, most NICUs nowadays have comfortable chairs or reclining chairs um, to make it possible for you to stay for long periods, but they usually don't um, encourage you to stay all night. Um, many uh, NICUs, especially if they're in community hospitals, will allow mothers to room in, which means that after the mother has been discharged, she can stay in a room on the maternity ward, which 
gives her proximity to her baby. It's not exactly the same as being with her baby 24-7, but at least she can uh, get up and come in every couple of hours and maybe come in and do feedings and things like that. So again, that's something that's variable between NICUs and you just have to ask. Um, what I would say to parents is try not to get overtired and try to make sure that you are healing from the delivery. Uh, many babies who come to the NICU are the result of C-sections, sometimes emergency C-sections, sometimes the result of health problems in the mother like high blood pressure. And so um, mom really needs to balance taking care of herself versus being available for her um, baby. So for every individual, that's going to be something they're just going to have to think about and figure out on their own. Yeah, and it is it is that balance, right, of the family unit as a whole that includes the baby. And it, it, I think creativity and grace are two things that can also be really helpful in navigating whatever circumstance birth throws at you, right? Um, because it requires that flexibility of being there for your baby, but also being there for yourself. Right. Yes, it's, it's sometimes we see moms whose health is kind of fragile and and they'll um, just push themselves to stay with their baby and then they end up getting readmitted to the hospital with a complication like a wound breaking down or an infection or some other problem. So again, um, mom really needs to uh, be aware of her own medical condition and, and the advice of her own doctor as well. Mm. In your experience, what do you see in terms of further assistance to help keep that, the family unit as together as, pos as much as possible in terms of transportations or meals? You did mention about having a place to stay and being able to... Um, you know, room in, in if it's a community hospital. Do you see that institutions have some sort of help or extend some help in terms of transportations or meals in some cases? Yes, for families in need, um, most NICU social workers will have meal tickets and money they can give for transportation. Um, you know, the, the goal of the NICU staff is for parents to be able to see their babies. So if there are barriers to that, uh, we would like to do everything we can to overcome those barriers by providing services. But again, it may be something that um, they don't tell you about unless you ask. The other thing I was thinking about related to um, staying with the baby is um, for some of the academic medical center uh, NICUs, they they usually will have a Ronald McDonald house close by. So, um, you know, sometimes babies are transferred from small towns to a big city hospital. And in those cases, definitely ask if they have a Ronald McDonald house, which is, you know, they might charge you $10 a night or something like that, but it's kind of a family atmosphere um, with private rooms, but a kitchen that, everyone can use together and uh, things like that. So uh, again, contact the social worker in the NICU, tell them what you need, what you'd like and ask for their help. But also don't be afraid to ask your own family to help you. 
um, by taking care of your other kids or giving you a ride to the hospital, um, whatever they can do to make your life easier while your baby's in the NICU would be good. Yeah. What are other things that I am, and obviously I don't have that, like I said at the beginning, that much knowledge about the NICU, but you do. So what are things that I'm not thinking about that you think are very important that parents should know? Um, let's see. Or did we cover pretty much everything? Uh, we've covered a lot. I would say um, for some families, their spiritual and religious beliefs may be uh, important to them. And uh, most hospitals, or probably all hospitals, have chaplain services. And, um, you know, even if your baby is not in danger of dying or something like that, you can still ask for a chaplain to come visit with you or visit with your baby or bless your baby or, or something like that. You know, uh, you can also invite your own um, pastoral care team uh, into the hospital. So if you belong to a church and you have a pastor or people from the church that you know and depend upon, they can be invited into the NICU to visit with you and your baby. Another thing um, is that uh, obviously we have people from all over the world who are having babies, um, you know, immigrants and lots of different languages spoken. So it is really a requirement that we use a translator or translating service to communicate with families that don't speak um, English fluently. So um, parents should not be worried if English isn't their first language, they can ask for and receive a translator. This is particularly helpful when the medical stuff is complicated. So for example, um, I work in California and we have a lot of Hispanic patients and a lot of them can kind of get by in English and I can kind of get by in Spanish. But when we're talking about a serious medical concern, I definitely want a translator and they definitely want a translator um, so that there's no misunderstanding. So I just want to say that we try to respect people's cultural and religious beliefs and um, provide the services that are necessary um, in those areas as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's very important. Um, while you were talking, I also remembered I had another question I wanted to ask you specific to breastfeeding. And, and lots of moms um, want to breastfeed, and that can be a tricky situation depending on why their baby is in the NICU. And um, like, for example, as my experience, if babies may not be having a serious problem, but maybe just have, you know, are having a little difficulty with transitioning in the breathing or um, have, you know, they you want to monitor blood sugar levels and something that requires them, the separation to include waiting on giving baby anything except like maybe IV fluids. Under that situation, what can parents do to try to encourage 
their breastfeeding relationship once they can, you know, start breastfeeding. But in the meantime, sort of to make sure they're the the breastfeeding relationship, you know, it's it's getting A to B. So getting food to baby from a breast, but that doesn't have to be at the breast. Um, what are some of the suggestions you have for parents to be creative in that situation? Well, the first thing is they need to start pumping right away. They're really, as soon as the baby is born, even if the baby can't nurse, they need to start pumping and pump every two to three hours. They should ask the nurses that are taking care of them for an electric pump. Um, and insurance, well, at least under Obamacare, um, I believe insurance is obligated to pay for an electric pump under these situations. They should also ask for a lactation consult. Uh, I would think most NICUs nowadays do have experts in lactation um, who can meet with the moms and get them started. You know, pumping is, I would say, more difficult than actually breastfeeding. Um, and then the NICU team will help the parents in terms of educating them about how to bring the milk over. They'll give them the bottles. They'll store it in the refrigerator or the freezer. They'll label it. You know, all of the mechanics of the breast milk from mom to baby will be explained. So you don't wait until the baby is well enough to try breastfeeding to start uh, your breast milk being produced. You have to start right after birth. And um, it can be easier to get more of a milk supply by pumping near your baby, like at your baby's bedside or in your baby's room or after skin-to-skin -skin contact with your baby. So those are some ideas of how to get started. Uh, with the breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, in conjunction with that, also doing some hand expression in, in your experience? Yes, I was going to say, I was going to add that hand expression it can actually be more successful, at least early on in the very, very beginning, um, just to get the colostrum out. Um, and even if the baby is critically ill, a lot of us uh, who work in the NICU will go ahead and give the colostrum to the baby because it's produced in small amounts and it's so very rich in immune factors that uh, help the baby establish their immune system. So we always talk to the moms about how colostrum and breast milk in general is our liquid gold and the baby's first medicine and the baby's most important medicine. So however it can be obtained through hand expression uh, or electric pumping is going to be beneficial to the baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I sometimes find that the hand expression, just because colostrum is so, the, the quantity of it is tends to be so small that I just feel it kind of gets lost in the tubes and of the pump. I appreciate the how it's yeah. creating a different, you know, suction and, and the uh, stimulation. But sometimes it's as easy as just doing it with your hand onto a teaspoon and then yes yeah it, it, it is liquid gold <laughs> you want to save every single bit of it um right. so what about after babies are released from from the NICU and that process of going home and being home and figuring wow now I'm alone with this baby what is a way to help parents with that transition 
Well, actually, going home from the NICU, especially if it's been a long NICU stay, is one of the most uh, stressful times of the NICU stay, so to speak, um, especially for babies who were born very early or who had complicated medical problems. You know, they're used to being in the NICU with the nurses. They can ask at any moment what to do, what's happening, what does this mean? And so to be kind of... Um, turned out all on your own and having to have the anxiety of, you know, how's my baby going to do can be difficult. Um, the other thing that can be difficult is um, when babies go into the NICU, we have the first dream that is shattered of you know, giving birth to a healthy baby and having the baby with you all of the time. When you go home from the NICU, the second dream is, now my life is going to return to that perfect dream I had, and it doesn't always do so. The baby you take home from the NICU can be fragile, can be um, you know, weaker than you expect, uh, can still have some lingering problems, require medication, and so on. And so the reality of what life is going to be like with a child who needs more and different kinds of attention than a healthy term baby can be kind of sobering. So tips for getting ready to go home. First, I would say do as much hands-on baby care while you're in the NICU as possible, whether you have a premature baby or a term baby. Get get going with the diaper changing and the temperature taking and especially the feeding so that when it's all on you at home, you feel confident, you know your baby, you know your baby's signs of distress and your baby's signs of pleasure and what calms the baby down. If your NICU offers any classes in um, learning about babies, um, definitely take them. If you're NICU offers CPR, definitely take it. You know, just do as much as you can to be involved rather than just going home and sitting and waiting for the baby to be discharged and then being terrified when you have the baby all to yourself. Oh, those are some really great recommendations. Um, I was also looking through, because you, and, and I think this is a perfect moment to let listeners lo know about this, you've created a beautiful website, um, an organization for, specifically for, to deal about, to, to focus on navigating that NICU and, and going back, and it's a great resource for parents. Can you tell us what the name of it is, and um, a little bit more about what got you to do that? Okay, the website uh, URL is www.support and then the number four and then NICUparents.org. So the website was created um, after uh, a big project that a number of us involved in um, neonatology and perinatal medicine did, which was to try to improve the level of psychosocial support that parents receive while they're in the NICU. Uh, postpartum depression and PTSD, we really haven't talked about those much, so we might want to do that in a few minutes. But the rates of those um, conditions are very much higher in parents of um, NICU babies, especially 
uh, premature babies or very sick babies. So uh, we had a task force, a national task force um, convened by the National Perinatal Association that worked to try to define what are standards for psychosocial support of NICU parents. And so this website is kind of a toolkit and part of it, half of it is for parents themselves and half of it is for professionals. So we have pages on peer support organizations, finding um, a mentor or a buddy who can guide you through the NICU, pages about uh, developmental care and how you can be involved um, with your baby, um, information about mental health resources for parents, um, information about bereavement and the situation that you might actually lose a baby, uh, what resources are available to help you get through that, resources for discharge. So um, those are all available. It's a very rich website in terms of tons of links and downloadable documents and uh, other organizations that are uh, interested in the same type of work. Mm, yeah, it is wonderful, wonderful. I was perusing through it, and it it has tons of information. So first of all, thank you for being part of creating it. And also, to go, circling back to what you just mentioned about postpartum mood disorders, one of the things that was kind of caught my eye when I was looking through the website is that um, it mentioned how how much time it can take to get to process the NICU stay that it could be as long as a year or more to sort of overcome the that experience that unexpected experience do you want to talk a little bit more about that and about the postpartum mood disorders yeah sure um Yes, in terms of postpartum depression, the, the rates are two to three times as high in NICU parents, and fathers are at risk also of depression. And the reason there's such a concern about depression is because parents who are depressed are not as interactive with their babies. And if they're not as interactive, then they're not guiding the baby's brain development. And so the baby's at risk for um, development being slower than other babies if parents are depressed. And, and those are longitudinal studies in um, depressed mothers of healthy term babies and um, NICU babies. Um, postpartum depression can appear as late as two years after the delivery. Um, and uh, sometimes it appears when the family goes home from the NICU as we were discussing. PTSD, uh, parents get this, you know, the NICU can be a very traumatic place, especially if you have a very small or very sick baby, you might see your baby go through near death episodes, you might see them go through painful procedures or surgeries, you might see them struggling to breathe, you might be tormented by all of the alarms and intimidated by all the equipment. And so um, the best thing to do is talk about it while you're in the NICU and try to get a handle on what's happening to your baby and how you're feeling about it so that it doesn't progress into depression or PTSD. 
um, because these can be very disabling conditions and sometimes parents don't even realize how they feel until something kind of triggers triggers it like driving by the hospital where the baby was hospitalized or smelling hand sanitizer or um, going to visit a friend who has a brand new baby in the hospital. Uh, I've heard from NICU parents that all of these things can trigger memories that were, you know, unpleasant for them. And um, many parents do report that it has interfered with their bonding uh, with their baby. Now, on the other side of that, it, there can be a tendency for NICU parents, especially if their baby was small or really sick, to be overprotective once the baby gets out. And that can be equally damaging because parents can be so frightened that they limit the baby's opportunities for interaction um, and trying new things, um, and they just become kind of risk averse, and that can uh, impact the baby's development as well. So again, it's all about finding balance. Yeah, I can, I can see those two things happening. And I, I, it's one of those things that I hadn't considered too much because it's, it happens, you know, further after I interact with, um, with the, the families that I interact with. But finding this balance, I think it's really important to, to restate how asking for help and seeking resources and, you know, postpartum can be such an isolating environment, an isolating situation, experience, even when you don't go through the NICU. And that can, and, and, and we know isolation is a trigger for, um, for postpartum depression. So I can see how it can, it would be heightened under these circumstances, especially if you had a team of people there caring for your baby and now you've gone home and then there's, it's just you basically. So yeah, reminding parents to reach out, use the resources, ask for help and that they're there because that's the actually the smart and strong thing to do. It's not a sign of weakness to ask for help because what you'll, you'll be doing is possibly avoiding all kinds of bigger problems down the road. Right. And I think uh, just to reiterate, um, the OB providers can be a huge resource for new moms also. And uh, OB providers such as yourself should be checking in with moms at their postpartum visits about how they're feeling emotionally, not just physically, uh, and screen for postpartum depression and make referrals um, if parents are struggling. Mm, absolutely. And it's such, we focus so much on the baby usually in this, in yeah. the after baby is born, all the attention goes with baby. And truthfully, the biggest transformation, yes, baby was born, but the biggest transformation is on the mom and the dad that have now new identities. And that, it's, it's really hard sometimes to figure out who this new self, this new you is, especially when you're feeling that every second guessing everything you do and feeling like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And I'm not sure. And I can't understand what my baby wants from me. Yes, and a lot of uh, NICU parents will say, you know, looking back on their experience, everyone asked how my baby was, but nobody asked how I was doing, mm. especially in the follow-up period. 
like going to follow-up clinic or going to pediatrician appointments or even amongst their friends. How's the baby? How's the baby? How's the baby? Not like, well, how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's huge. So, yes, definitely ask for help. Ask for help. Take care of yourselves. Have grace with yourselves. And and all the feelings that you talked about, that, those are big numbers that you mentioned of, you know, two to three times more likely to have postpartum depression, um, especially when the numbers for people who don't have the NICU experience is already one in seven. That's still a big number. Yes. Yes. It's mm-hmm. pretty sobering to consider the numbers and the the need for um, support for parents to, like you said, prevent their feelings from getting all the way into postpartum depression or PTSD. Now, that's not to say that people can absolutely control how they feel. Um, Some things are very depressing. It's totally appropriate to be depressed, and some things really do freak you out. So, not saying that intervention during the NICU stay could absolutely make everybody's life perfect, but um, can help anyway. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And and acknowledge those sucky feelings. Acknowledge that you might be angry or guilty, you're feeling guilty or, you know, sad or all. Yeah. So that I find that if you acknowledge them as they're going and seek for help, then there is less of a chance of things deteriorating into something darker. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Doctor Hall, is there anything else that you, before we wrap up, that you want to make sure listeners know about about the NICU experience? Um, I would encourage um, listeners, if they have a baby that goes to the NICU, to try as much as possible to trust the medical team and try to work alongside with them. Try not to be so afraid that you doubt everything that they say or do, Um, because that's some parents' impulses. And they're, you know, maybe normal impulses, but you've got to have confidence in your medical team. And if you don't, ask for a conference with the doctors and nurses to try and get to a point of understanding and confidence um, because they're, they want to do the right thing. They want your baby to get healthy. They want you to be happy. They want you to be confident and prepared to be a parent. Um, but things don't always go the way everybody wants them to. So if they're not going the way you want them to, um, it's, it's probably not because they're not well-intentioned. They are well-intentioned. Um, but it's all about communication. Hmm. So I encourage people to communicate. Communicate, communicate. Yes, indeed. And start, you know, that's part of being a parent, right? Advocating for your child and for yourself and, and working with the those that are around you to help you out for sure. Um, so yeah. if they, if listeners want to follow what you're doing or learn more or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can email me at drhall at suhallmd.com. So D-R-H-A-L-L at S-U-E-H-A-L-L-M-D.com. 
And that's my personal website, actually. Yeah, and they can peruse that too, suehall.com. Oh, yeah, let me put in a plug for my book. Please. <laughs> I wrote a book called For the Love of Babies. And it's the story of 16 babies and their families going through the NICU experience. And every baby has a different diagnosis, different problem, different issue. Every family has a different social situation. So it's, it's, a, you know, a, it's a narrative of my experience with these families. And it's educational and it's, you know, a view from the inside of what the NICU is like from a doctor's perspective. Mm, and I think those can be really helpful also, just like when we read birth stories. It's taking, making the unknown a little bit more known and less frightful. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for writing that book and for all you do. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and share your knowledge. Well, it was, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I hope the listeners learned something. Mighty Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. And while you're there, don't forget to grab my free new and improved postpartum plan. You can also use the code HAPPYSISTER until December 6th to get the Birth Partners Ultimate Labor Support Toolkit at half price. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.